written between those two passages. Here it is. Now I know it's a time-honoured tradition that when the preacher is boring, you all go to sleep. And I realise I might have a problem there, so this whole message is about you. Wake up! Thank you. If I see anybody drifting, I might do that occasionally. Okay? Just to see if you're paying attention. But the truth of the matter is, this is a pretty serious message. And uh, I'm going to tackle it in my usual, slightly unconventional way. And... uh, No doubt you'll tell me off afterwards. But it's true that we have just read two passages that give a very somber warning. Now that warning is in two parts. If you know Jesus Christ as your saviour, if you are a Christian, there is a very serious message for you here this morning. But if you do not know Jesus as your saviour, if you are here to maybe find out a bit more, maybe you've just come to church because you were curious or somebody asked you to come along to hear the message, there's a warning here for you too. You say this all sounds a bit strong, a bit uh, aggressive. God's word is uncompromising. And sometimes we, we try and wrap Christianity up in so much cotton wool to make it nice and cuddly that we forget the message that's actually there. This message has two reasons. One, it is urgent. Now, when I say wake up, you'll notice I've put a nice exclamation mark behind it. Because it's not wake up, it's wake up! There we are, one or two people jumped, good. Um, We read, be in in. Revelation, we read this phrase, and and there are two ways you can interpret this phrase. In certain versions of the Bible, it says, be watchful. In others, it says, wake up. And it's the same idea. It's the idea of being alert. It's the idea that you are firing on all cylinders. It's like a soldier waking up in his tent because he can hear the advancing army coming. Believe me, he doesn't yawn, look at the clock and go, another five minutes. He leaps out of bed, grabs his gun, and he's off to the battle. And so, this is given as a warning, as a command to the church at Sardis. Be watchful. Why? Because the church at Sardis has been told they are dead. Are you dead this morning? Well, you pinch yourself, think, no, feel quite alive. There are two ways you can be dead. The Bible says you can be dead in trespasses and sins. You say, what? You're going to start using old-fashioned words like sin? Oh, we're way beyond that. We're a bit more modern. No, we're not. What is sin? Sin is disobeying God's laws. And you can be dead because spiritually, in the eyes of a holy God, your sin... Your disobedience to the laws that he has given has separated you and you might as well be dead in the sight of God. What you need, the Bible tells us, is new life. We'll talk a bit more about that. Now if you have this new life, 
You say, well, the Bible tells me uh, if I'm a Christian, I'm a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things have become new. That's great. Now the question is, and this was the question pitched to the church at Sardis, are you actually living? Are you actually awake? Have you ever seen somebody asleep and you go, you want to poke them just to make sure they're still breathing because they're in such a deep sleep? Well, I think that's what some of the Christians at the church of Sardis were like. They were in such a deep sleep spiritually they were doing nothing and yet what did it say at the beginning of that it said you have a name that you're alive so on the outset everyone's oh you want to go to the church at Sardis the things are really happening there Uh, they're all so busy and there's all kinds of things going on yet in reality in the eyes of God he said you're like you're dead very warn very grave warning this So, be watchful, wake up, because I think sometimes as Christians we get lulled into a false sense of security, we've got comfortable with our faith, it's easy, well, roll up on Sunday, an hour at church, then go home and have a big dinner and watch the football or or whatever it is we do. You know, that's our Christianity for the week. If that's where your Christianity starts and stops, then you really should have been at the Church of Sardis because you're right in there with the rest of them. Christianity, and don't think the preacher's any different. I wrote this out and preparing this message was a wake-up call for me. Just how serious am I about my Christian faith? I know I fail an awful lot. But it's not even about looking at the times when I fail and I have to go to God in prayer and ask for his forgiveness. It's about the reality. It's all very well to say you're a Christian, but is the world seeing you're a Christian? So, what was the second part? Strengthen what remains. That's an interesting statement. You want to do things... For Christ, you want to, the little that you are doing, sometimes you're just letting all your work for Christ, all your effort, go to nothing. You're not even following the word, you're not even reading the word. You live in a life during the week that is really nothing to do with Christianity. And if your workmates or your friends or your relatives looked at you, they might go, I really don't know whether he's a Christian or not strengthen what remains, build it up. That which is about to die. We looked at that scripture because it says in Revelation 3, wake up and strengthen what remains is about to die. I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. So what have you received and heard? The word of God. I will suggest the first sign And I know it myself, when I am weakest as a Christian, it is because I'm neglecting this. When you buy a new DVD player, we used to say video recorder, but of course it's not. And particularly if you're a man, what's the first thing you do, right? Manual, over there, we're going to work it out ourselves, right? And then you fiddle and struggle for long enough and eventually you get the manual and read it. We tend to treat Christianity like that. Oh, we've got this Christianity thing sussed. So we don't need this book because we know all about it. So we don't read it. And our Christian life suffers. 
Remember what you have received and heard. Keep it. That's pretty simple, isn't it? And repent. But there's a further warning. God says, if you will not wake up out of your slumber, out of your lethargy, I will come like a thief. We're going to look at another verse that gives you an idea of that. Well, what, how does a thief arrive? Well, of course, he doesn't tell you when he's coming, does he? It comes as a horrible shock when you suddenly come home to find that somebody else has been round your house and pinched everything. But he didn't announce. You do not know the hour I will come against you. God is saying, my patience is not infinite. If you are going to abuse the love and the grace that I have given to you, I can't let you continue like this. That's a serious word for people who know Jesus Christ. I think sometimes people come into churches thinking Christians are just all holier than thou and, 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 and they're all, they all think they're better than us. Believe me, those of us who know Jesus Christ as our saviour can tell you we're probably worse than you. <laughs> in fact, we know we are. The reason we, we, the reason we trust in Jesus Christ for our salvation is because we know we're no good. So don't feel intimidated by us lot because we're awful but it's Jesus Christ who is wonderful. He is our saviour. Why? Because he took on him our sins in his own body when he died on a cross. That's the teaching of the scripture. That Jesus Christ, God, manifest in a man's body as an innocent, pure and holy sacrifice took the penalty that God had to levy against sin for mankind. So that by simple faith and trust, you and I can know him as our saviour. But can I just say this? Christianity isn't a get-out-of-jail-free card for hell. It's not an insurance policy against judgment. It is a life that has to be lived. It is a walk that requires obedience. He's not just your saviour. We often say this. He has to be your Lord. In Romans, we read that it's time, the hour has come to wake from sleep. This verse is addressed to Christians. Our salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. What does it mean? Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us, is coming again. You say, what? It's true. He came to this earth once, he ascended up into glory. And the Bible gave us a promise. This same Jesus who has ascended up into heaven, you'll see him coming in the same manner that he went. So he's coming again. And this time he's not coming as the son of a carpenter, born to a lowly maid in a stable. Next time he comes, it's going to be as a full frontal assault against the armies of this world. When the armies of this world will gather together to try and crush what remains of the nation of Israel, and I tell you what, I just wonder whether that's coming ever so quickly, then Christ himself will descend. You say, oh, this is, this is, this is fairy tales. Is it? It was right the first time round. Historically attested fact, the death of Jesus Christ. Whether you believe it is another matter, but you can't argue the history. Attested to by other history, other than just the Bible itself. But even if all we had was the word of God, it's a, it's, a, it's a reliable historical document 
more reliable than most ancient historical documents for the amount of evidence that it exists and it is consistent in its translation. Jesus Christ died on a cross, was buried, rose again the third day. You may not like it, but the evidence lies there. And why did he raise again? Because God was proving to you and me that because he raised him from the dead, it was evidence that he had power on earth to forgive sin. That he was able, that his sacrifice on the cross was acceptable in the sight of God. And therefore all men everywhere can come to Christ for their salvation. This is the truth of God's word. Our salvation is nearer. He's coming. But he says, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armour of light. Armour? We only put on armour when you go into war. It's a battle. The Christian life is a battle. And you know what? The battle isn't sometimes as obvious as we think. Some of you know I'm, uh, I, I quite, I'm quite into various music. Um, but I quite like the music of Bob Dylan, as you'll find out a bit later. Um, but he wrote a song called Man of Peace. You say, what a lovely song title. Man of Peace, yes, it's all about Satan. I'll give you an example of some of the verses. He's got a sweet gift of gab. He's got a harmonious tongue. He knows every song of love that ever has been sung. Good intentions can be evil. Both hands can be full of grease. You know that sometimes Satan comes as a man of peace. Well, all Dylan's doing is taking up that Bible verse that says that he clothes himself as an angel of light. Particularly in our Western society, I will suggest to you, Satan's not really exposing himself as some little guy with red horns and a forked tail. In fact, I think Satan loves you to think of him like that because it reduces him to a caricature, a figure of fun, something to joke about, something for people to make silly movies about. Oh no, Satan's a bit more serious than that. But what are his works? Well, he loves everything of the darkness. He hates the light. And so we fight him with the armour of light. The Christian's armour is described in Scripture And it says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, sexual immorality and sensuality, quarrelling and jealousy. That's what this world loves. That's basically how this world works. Right? So within that, you can incorporate pretty much all of the soap operas on your TV, Big Brother, some of it probably the X Factor as well. I don't know, but the bottom line is, the world loves these things. The world loves to feed on scandal, on sex, on the... Why do you have these celebrity gossip magazines? Do you know the one common denominator with celebrity gossip magazines? I've never heard of any of the celebrities. I don't think they can be that good. But apparently people like to read about all the sordid, grotty details of who's having an affair with what and who dumped who and, oh, I was so heartbroken... But yet Christians get caught up with this kind of thing. When what we should be doing is fighting the one who is seeking in this world to turn men's minds from Christ. We've got a job to do. We shouldn't be, it says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desire. 
yep, we're pretty good at that. You see, it says in Ephesians 2, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in once you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Christian, fellow Christian, before you knew Jesus Christ as your saviour, this was you. You might have thought you were a reasonably good person. The number of people who say, well, I'm a good person. Well, maybe, but I think you'll find that describes you pretty accurately. Certainly describes me. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind feeding ourselves with what we want. It's all about me, not about the one who died for me. You see, you've got to think what you're feeding on. Now, as a Christian, this is particularly important. When a baby is born, you feed it good food, starting with the milk, and then working onto the solids in order for that baby to develop and grow and be healthy. Too much of this stuff, all the junk food, and your body soon starts not to feel so healthy. The sad fact is, as Christians, we like feeding on junk food. Sorry to pick these, but I'm afraid... You go into a Christian bookshop today, these are the kind of books. They're spiritual Big Macs. Some of them ain't even that good. They won't fill you. When you taste them, they're never quite as good as you think they were going to be. And they certainly won't build you into a healthy body. You say, yeah, well, it's boring. I mean, you know, we can eat all the good stuff. Well, where do we get the good stuff? It's very simple. I'm not saying you can't read books, Christian books, but there's a lot of stuff out there that sounds good, that looks nice and twee, and people read that and they forget this book. This is where your faith comes from. This is the proof, this is the textbook, this is the manual. And without it, you will be dead. You need to wake up and you need to strengthen the teaching that you're being given. You need to understand it. That means reading it. That means thinking on it. That means studying it. I don't mean having a degree in it. I just mean taking time to read God's word. And when you find the bit you don't understand, you either refer it, you you look it up, you, you ask for people's opinions, you talk to other Christians who you value and who you trust, and you ask them to help you to study. Because the more we learn of this word, the more like Christ we become. Sadly, I can stand before you and say, I'm not very like Christ. I'm a right old mess. But the more I read of it, the better it becomes. And some people say to me, I don't understand it. I read it, but I don't understand it. What's the point of reading it? An old lady said that many, many years ago to a preacher. She says, you say I've got to read my Bible every day, but I don't understand it. He says, do you have a colander in your kitchen? You know, one of those bowls with all the holes in for washing the salad. She said, yeah, I've got one of those. He said, what happens if you pour water through it? She said, well, it runs straight out the other side. He said, exactly, he says. And that's what's happening with your Bible reading, he says. 
He said, you may think that it's like pouring water through a sieve or a colander. He says, but what happens is, on the way through, the water cleans the sieve. And that's the same with reading the Word of God. You may not understand it, but the very act, the very, the very thing that you do as you read God's Word, it has a cleansing effect. You may not even realise it. It is important. What are you feeding on? You see, I mentioned about the thief earlier. It says in Matthew 24, if the master of the house had known what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not let his house be broken into. If you are to be effective in your Christian life, if you are to survive, if you are to avoid the wiles of the devil, you've got to be awake. You can't sleep. Because if you knew a thief was coming to your house, you'd be waiting up to make sure that when he turned up and was trying to break in, you were there. In America, with a pump-action shotgun. Which is one of the reasons why burglary isn't quite so common in America as it is in this country. But we won't go into that. (laughs) The truth is, this is how the Christian should be prepared. In armour, ready for the fight. But I'm going to show you a picture that I think accurately describes what a lot of Western Christians actually live their life out. They're not like that. They're like that. Spiritual couch potatoes. Feeding yourself and all the stuff that's no good for you. Okay, I'm not knocking telly and and popcorn as necessarily a bad thing, but you get the idea. We are warriors in a fight. And we need to be alert. We need to be ready to stand up and fight for those things. We're living in a world that is quickly throwing out everything to do with the Word of God. This country and many Western civilizations have been built on Christian teaching. And in the last 50 years, there has been a wholesale attempt in government, in law, in every sphere of life to throw everything that Jesus and the Word of God teaches out of the window and replace it with everything that the Word of God says is evil. Except now, they call it good. And what you believe and I believe, they call evil. But then Satan has a funny way of doing that. He wants you to believe that it's okay. That a baby at 24 weeks, if you don't want it, mince it up. And believe it or not, there are organisations out there who will not only help you do that, they'll sell the bits for medical research as well. And we've seen sickening stuff on our screens. I'm not saying that this is just one issue, this is just one thing, and I'm not necessarily saying Christians need to go out and campaign against it, but we need to understand that our world says to abort babies is fine, but they don't have to get upset when a kid picks up a gun and runs around a school shooting everybody, and the President of the United States says, if only we can save one more young American life, wouldn't that be good? And then he goes and speaks at a conference for Planned Parenthood and says, yeah, great, you're doing a good work, folks. I wonder how many American lives they've destroyed. As Christians... We can just get so taken up with the world system that we just fall into it. We're not shocked by anything. We don't want to say anything. Yet the word of God is very clear. We're here as salt and light. 
And I will suggest to you that if your Christian life is much like this one on the right, there's something very wrong. It should be that one on the left. There's a parable that Jesus told. It was about a group of young women who were waiting for a Jewish marriage. Now, Jewish marriages are very different to the way we do it. And the most important person at the Jewish marriage is the bridegroom. Sorry, girls. <laughs> I'm not saying that the bride wasn't important, but until the bridegroom turned up, the party wasn't started. And there was a group of young women who'd come, and uh, it was taking ages for the bridegroom to turn up to the marriage. And one of the things they used to do, they used to have little oil lamps. And the idea was when the bridegroom came, you all lit your oil lamps and held them up and waved them and, and rejoiced. And this was wonderful because the man who was coming to marry the girl was now in the house and the party could get started. What happened was he was a long time coming and some of them fell asleep. And their lamps burned low and they ran out of oil. <gasps> Somebody shouted, the bridegroom's coming! <gasps> oh no! We, we, we haven't got enough oil. Well, some of them have been sensible and brought spare oil. Others didn't have enough, so oh, we better go and buy some. But by this time, it's night time and all the shops are shut. And they're running around going, can somebody get us some oil for our lamps? Because we've got to welcome the bridegroom. And by the time they get back to the marriage, it says the bridegroom came while they were buying. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. As Christians, we should be sober. Jesus Christ is coming again. And he's going to turn up and the Bible says we do not know the day or the hour in which the Son of Man comes. So we should be prepared. We should be watchful. We should be strengthening those things that we believe and teach. We should be living them out. We should be practicing them. We should be showing through the love and that we express through the church to men and women that Jesus Christ is their only hope for salvation. Now, some of you are probably going to go, oh, it's Harper Lee novel. <laughs> Where did you get the title from? Isaiah 21, the Lord said to me, go set a watchman. Let him announce what he sees. Why were watchmen important in the Old Testament? Because if a city was going to be attacked, if good or bad news was coming, it was that man who stood there, propping his eyelids open on the walls of the city, constantly on watch for an enemy. Constantly on watch so that the city might be protected. Be watchful. Wake up! Not bad, you're all still there. Because the Bible tells us, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This Christianity business isn't easy and cosy, it's hard work. You've got a pretty powerful enemy. You'll be pleased to know he's not as powerful as the one who is in you. Praise God for that. So we ain't going to be defeated by him, but boy, he's going to make life hard. Boy, he's going to make life difficult. Satan is an already defeated foe. The Bible knows, he knows, that God has already planned his end. And he's determined to spoil and ruin and take as many men and women with him as he possibly can. Because he's got nothing to live for. 
he knows his end is in a lake of fire and judgment. Don't let yourself be gulled into this sense of security. I'll quote you another verse from that song, Man of Peace. He's a great humanitarian. He's a great philanthropist. He knows just where to touch you, honey, and how you like to be kissed. He'll put both his arms around you. You can feel the tender touch of the beast. You know that sometimes Satan comes as a man of peace. (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's a little bit in your face, some of these lyrics, but I tell you, it's true. We allow Satan to lull us into this false sense of security that everything's fine and the world system's okay and you're doing okay as a Christian and we're all asleep on the couch. The Bible tells us, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. The very act of prayer is an act of watchfulness. Because while you're praying, you're awake, your mind is active, and you're communing with God, and you're asking Him, you're praising Him, you're worshipping, you're asking Him for help, you're asking Him for wisdom, you're praying on behalf of others. That is working. Praying is working. You want to know how to work for God? Be a prayer warrior. Because that's one of the best battle means of battle going. Be a prayer warrior. Why? When is the church at its most powerful? When the prayer meeting is best attended. And I'll tell you now, in Goldings, I can track it. The times when we have seen the greatest blessing in this church have been when the prayer meeting is best attended. When people are praying, crying out to God, and when the prayer meeting goes down, and when the praying stops, the blessing stops. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. And you can't pray while you're asleep, can you? Yet, this is the great promise that was made to that church in Sardis. You still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear. Faithfulness is what God looks for. He longs for his people, those who he has died for, those who he loved so much that he gave his own son for. He longs for you to be faithful. Yes, you will stumble. Yes, you will trip. We're sinners. We we can't get it all right all the time. We will make mistakes, but we don't go out there expecting to do so. We strive to be holy. We strive to live a life that is pleasing to our Lord. And we need to be in the battle. Not on the couch. We need to be up on our feet, in the armour, ready for the fight. Because there is a wonderful promise. Those who remain faithful, those who walk before the Lord, He has a wonderful promise for you. He has a wonderful future. You are in his book of life. He will not take your name out of it. This is the wonderful promise for those who know Jesus Christ as their saviour. When Jesus spoke about himself being the good shepherd, he said that the sheep that his father gave him, none could pluck them out of his hand. But sheep have a tendency to wander. Where do we need to be? We need to be following the shepherd. Not off in the wilderness 
doing our own thing. Sleeping sick. The good shepherd went out. He gave his life for the sheep. Be watchful. Wake up. And before I pray and close, we're going to listen to somebody who obviously read Revelation chapter 3. The song is going to be on the PA. The lyrics are going to be on the screen. I make no apology. It is my old friend, Mr. Dylan. And the song is called, When You Gonna Wake Up.
conscious that as Christians we frequently, consistently fail. Lord, we so often are asleep when we should be awake, alert to the battle ahead, serving you, Lord, filling ourselves with your word and we don't. Lord, forgive us that we sometimes are like spiritual couch potatoes, feeding ourselves on spiritual rubbish, junk food, when we should be feeding ourselves on your word and on the power of your spirit. Lord, we just ask that as we head into a new week, a difficult week for the church, Lord, where there will be much sorrow as we share fellowship with the Sandy family over their recent tragic loss, But Lord, may we never forget that our goal, our work, is to wake up and strengthen the things that remain, that are about to die. Those things that we have been taught. Lord, may we take the truth of your word to us and strengthen ourselves with it again. Lord, might your Holy Spirit speak powerfully into our lives that we might not be token gesture Christians. Lord, I ask your forgiveness. I know I'm a token gesture Christian so often. Just there on a Sunday, saying and doing the right things. But Lord, I fear that you would look on me and say, like to the church of Sardis, you've got a name, you're alive, but you're dead. Father, may we not be seen as dead in your sight, but awake, watchful, watching out for the wiles of Satan. Also watchful for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, prepared 
Not like those young women who weren't prepared for the return of the bridegroom and so lost out on the blessing of that marriage. But Lord, we pray we may be prepared, watchful, seeking to walk after our Master's way, obeying His Word, loving His Word, soaking ourselves in it, Lord, and being prepared for the battle. God, we have perhaps a hard message this morning, but Lord, it's an important one. So we just pray you'll convict our hearts. Drive us forward, Lord, in in our life for you. Give us that knowledge of your love day by day through your word as you speak to us. And Lord, as we speak to you, warring in prayer, Lord, we ask your blessing and take us to our home safely, Lord. But not so that we forget about what's been spoken about this morning, Lord, but that your word might sink down in our hearts, that might be there throughout the day, and we might ponder on it. We might meditate on the word of God day and night, as the psalmist said. Lord, we just want to ask that you will give us a renewed, fresh, clear vision. Lord, it's so easy in this day and age. People tell you to dream dreams. Lord, well, as we've just heard in that song, you've got to be asleep to dream. We need to wake up and strengthen the things that remain. Father, we thank you for your word. We praise you for your love. We now ask, Lord, for the strength to go out there and to be those who you would want to be, Lord. Those who are written in your book of life, those who you long to clothe in white. Father, we give thanks in the name and for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.